Amen. Stand with me and honor God's word. Open your Bibles or digital device to Malachi chapter 3. I wonder what Joel Osteen does, because you just can't hold up your phone and say, this is my Bible. This, I guess you could, um, but uh, that would kind of ruin the whole. Um, just thoughts that pastors have. Malachi 3, verses, we're going to read 6 through 8. It says, I am the Lord, I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you've scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. Father in heaven, this is about so much more than money. As with anything, we see it in the material first and realize the spiritual second. But God, I ask that you would push past what might seem outwardly as a, as a message on finances and stewardship. And God, I ask that we would see beyond to the heart of the issue, which is what you were going after here. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that we wouldn't withhold any area of our lives from you, and we'd offer everything freely to you because you freely, freely gave. We freely receive and we freely give. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Last week we kicked off a series called The Spirit of Mammon. We talked about what a spirit of mammon was. The spirit of mammon will give you everything that you want so that you won't need God. If you, if you have it, you don't need God. So it is some kind of method or means for you to get what you want so that really, in a nutshell, you don't need God. A spirit of mammon will give it to you now. But it, what it promises, it cannot give you. It cannot give you peace. It cannot give you joy. It cannot give you righteousness with God. And you can put it in any package that you want to. It cannot. Last week, we talked about how tithing breaks a spirit of mammon because you are honoring God. You're honoring God with that first tenth of that which comes into your possession. And in our house, we don't tithe from our take-home. We tithe from our gross because, as my pastor would say, God gets it before Uncle Sam. So today, let's look at another way that the spirit of mammon can be broken off of a life. Notice the language here. First of all, God establishes, I'm the Lord and I don't change. I do not change. And that's why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed ever since the days of your ancestors. You've scorned my decrees, failed to obey them. Now return to me and I'll return to you. And the people respond, how can we return to you if we've never been away? And God says, Will a man rob God? Will a man cheat God? Unusual conversation, isn't it? God tells the people to return to him. They don't believe that they've ever been away. And then God goes into tithing. Tithing. I want to make some bold statements today. They're going to be biblically sound. Your issue will no longer be with your pastor, but then they'll be with God at the end of the service, all right? Amen. Can you see in these verses how tithing and intimacy go hand in hand? 
And like the Lord, I'm coming after more than your wallet this morning. I'm going after your hearts. Tithing and intimacy go hand in hand. Return to me and I'll return to you. That was the first thing the Lord said. He didn't say, you've been robbing me. He didn't say, you've not been honoring me with your tithes and offerings. No, no, no. He said, return to me. We've never been away. Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. You've cheated me. Of tithes and offerings, do me. Do me. The tithe belongs to God. It's not yours. It's not yours to eat. It's not yours to spend at your discretion. It's not your responsibility to, do, to determine what the tithe is and where it should go. God tells you what the tithe is and where it should go. And there is a level of intimacy. Here we go. There is a level of intimacy with God that you will never know if you are not a tither. Because you are withholding and you are robbing God. And you cannot return to God if you are going to do it with a portion that he says is his and is holy. People think that they can come to God on their terms, that they can have it their way. I tell you, they cannot. You do not mess with what God calls holy. The tithe is holy. The anointings are holy. You, you, don't, you don't mess with that stuff. That is, that's the Lord's. I'm up here because of God, not because there's anything special about me, not because I dotted every I perfectly and crossed every T perfectly. God placed an anointing on my life and I'm now responsible to steward it before you. And it's holy. Even David, when Saul was trying to kill him, would not lay a hand on Saul because he refused to touch God's anointed. Even though Saul was up to his neck in sin and had abandoned God, was seeking witches out, Tithing and intimacy with God break a spirit of mammon. It's an expression of love and intimacy, therefore. Tithing is an expression of love and intimacy. And I'm going to show you some other scriptures that will support this. Go to Luke 16. I'm reading out of the New Living this morning. Luke, or Deuteronomy. Did I say Luke 16? Deuteronomy 16, yeah. I'm turning to Deuteronomy and I'm saying Luke. Deuteronomy 16. Look at 17. 16, 17. Notice that it says, All must give as they are able according to the blessings given to them by the Lord your God. Notice how this expresses love to God. It expresses love to God. No wonder why Paul told the church in Corinth, you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. You sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. If it's an expression of love to God. How would you have made it through the stuff that you made it through? How many of you know that there is a pretty good chance that you would not be alive and sitting here if it weren't for Jesus Christ? Come on, there's no way. No, I have no idea where I'd be. No idea what the condition of my body would be in. No, absolutely no idea. Absolutely no idea. Look at Luke 7. Let's dig a little deeper in the well, boys. Luke 7. kind of message messes with people messes with them 
7. Look at 36. Indulge me as I read a little bit here because it's too good. And on the night of worship, I love the fact that Corbin referred to the... If you were here for the night of worship, was that amazing or, or what? Um, there are just... There are just certain things that I don't want to record um, as far as our services go. And I got saved in a Pentecostal church. And I've seen a lot of stuff in full gospel churches. But I think that there are levels of intimacy that should not be dragged out in the public for everybody to see. And I believe there is nothing more intimate than, than worship for the corporate body. At least it should be. I believe the king is beckoning us to come into the king's chamber. We have stopped recording the worship part of our services, those of you that are watching live, because I... I don't believe that restored churches' spiritual bedrooms should be dragged out in the pulpit for everybody to watch. I believe it's intimate, and it should be treated as such. And I don't know of a more intimate portion of Scripture than the one that we're going to look at right here. And so I'm asking you to hear with your heart this morning and to notice the woman with the alabaster box or the alabaster jar. And keep in mind that Theologians believe that the reason why this alabaster jar was so expensive, it cost as much as a year's wage, wages, and why a woman had it when women weren't the dominant uh, breadwinners in that culture, it's because it was reserved for a woman's wedding day. And just picture all the symbolism that we're going to read now that, could be, that you could be connecting right now. She was declaring Jesus to be the groom of all grooms her bridegroom, so powerful, powerful. Also, keep in mind that they tried to come and anoint Jesus' body after he was buried, but he was already gone. Mary did it beforehand. Mary did it beforehand. It says in verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume, years' wages. Think about a cologne. Think about a perfume that cost your entire salary. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping, didn't even have the courage to, um, to kneel in front of him, knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisees who invited him saw this, they said to himself that this man were a prophet. He would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him a story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. 
That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she's anointed my feet with a rare perfume. I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so he has shown me much love. But a person who's forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What a beautiful picture of faith that you don't hear preached on very much today. What a beautiful picture. He who's forgiven much, loves much. He who's forgiven much, loves much. I can't help but see how giving and love go hand in hand here. She gave the most expensive thing that she owned. Most expensive thing that she owned. Saved for her wedding day. To smell so beautiful for her groom as he brought her to a place that he spent up to as much as a year preparing for her on their wedding night. She poured it out on Jesus. Poured it out on Jesus. Giving and love hand in hand, intimately. I can't help but think of John three sixteen and how the Father expressed his love for the world so much that he gave. When we know how much God has forgiven and blessed, we cannot help but give as an expression of our love to him. So why is a spirit of mammon, money, uh, so dangerous to our Christian faith? Why? Why does it compete why does it demand attention? Why does it demand that you order your life around it? Why? Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and begin to chip away at this. Are you guys out there this morning? Come on, we're serving sozos. Um, 1, Timothy, 1 Timothy 6. Look at 10. It says, for money is the root of all kinds of evil. Oh, it doesn't say that, does it? It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. How unusual that it says love. Not a desire, not a, not a craving, but a love. Notice the intimacy that's being spoken of here. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced, them, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Why? Because you can't love God and you can't love money. And if it is possible to love money, then there must be a spirit on it that you could love. Must be. Has to be. In fact, you'll note that with any kind of love, there is a spiritual connection. Sexual union is spiritual. To become one. Married or unmarried, they become one. Married, it's holy. It's blessed by God. When a man's found a wife, he obtains favor from the Lord. He's found a treasure. Sexual union brings oneness. Any, anything that can be loved is spiritual in nature. That's why when God was speaking to the Israelites, you see it throughout the Old Testament 
when they were worshiping idols, he called them adulterers. He told them that they were prostituting themselves to those gods. Why? Because it was spiritual, because it involved love and worship is love and giving is love. And those things are spiritual in nature. And money, in order for you to love it, you have to embrace a spirit to love it, to love it more than God. And you do not want that to have a hold of your heart. You must break it. You break it through tithing. You break it through an intimacy with God. And these things are, 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 are woven together. Woven together. The Message Bible says, Lust for money brings trouble and nothing but trouble. Going down that path, some lose their footing in the faith completely and live to regret it bitterly ever after. Deuteronomy 14, 23 in the Living Bible says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God in first place in your life. We tithe because it teaches. We tithe because it instructs. It instructs us to put God first in our lives. That's why we tithe. Isn't it amazing? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Again, Giving, love, it's intimate. It's intimate. It's intimate. Why? Why would you tithe if you didn't love God? And why wouldn't you if you do? Consistent with what we've looked at today is the thought that if you are not tithing, you don't realize that God is first yet. That's why God asked the people to return to him when they never felt like they'd left him. My pastor used to say that a man's heart is attached to his billfold. And during the offering, we read in Matthew 6, 21, that where your treasure is there, the desire of your heart is. So if God doesn't have your treasure, he doesn't have your heart. Let me know if I'm straying from Scripture at all. God doesn't have your treasure, he doesn't have your heart. He is your treasure. He is your treasure. And I would say this if your argument would be, but pastor, I gave my heart to the Lord. I would say that if God can't touch your treasure, he can't touch your heart. Or if God doesn't have your treasure, he doesn't have your heart. So the question isn't whether or not you gave your heart to God. It's whether or not God has your heart. Because I've seen people give their heart to God and take it back. Give it and take it back. Come to him, tears at an altar, weeping, seemingly so broken and repentant, and please don't go there with me as if you could know whether they were genuinely repentant or not. That's God's call. I don't believe you lose your salvation, but man, I believe you can reject it just like anything else. Just like anything else that God gives. I don't think we're locked in a box. Do I believe that the word is an imperishable seed that's in our heart? You'd be amazed at what people could reject. question is never going to be whether you gave your heart to God as much as whether or not God has it. And just like we want our kids to have our heart, God wants us to have his heart. I want to show you as we're wrapping things up how tithing affects your entire family and why in our house we, we, we teach um, tithing. Our sons, um, from the moment they begin to make money, we challenge them. We don't force them because I don't want them to, 
to, to when they're old enough to understand, I don't want them to, to be doing my will. Hopefully, they, they, they trust me enough. I found that if you want your kids to be kids, speak to them like kids, tell them what to do. But if you're growing young men and young women, you're instructing them. You're instructing them. Train a child in the way that they should go. You train them. And so let me show you something maybe you've never noticed before in Scripture. Go back to Malachi 3. I want you to look at verse 11 with me. Malachi 3, 11. Let me show you something. Malachi 3, 11. You guys getting something out of this? All right. Look at verse 11. It says, your crops will be abundant. Remember, this is all in context of tithing. Try me now on this. See if I won't open for you the window. All of that. Verse 11 says, your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I want you to notice grapevine there. I want you to notice grapevine there. Go to Psalm 128. Psalm 128. Verse 1, it says, How joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow his ways. Remember, we're following God's ways. You'll enjoy the fruit of your labor. How joyful and prosperous you'll be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. I believe tithing affects your marriage. It affects your sons, your daughters. I believe it does. We're blessed because we give. We're blessed because we give. And truth be told, we don't stop at 10%. We give over and above 10%. I can't remember a time that we haven't. We were giving over and above 10% long before we ever had a building, and we were renting space from the school. We were giving. We believe in tithing. We believe in honoring God, not with just our lips, but with our money as well. And I challenge you. I challenge you, if you have struggled financially, I challenge you to, to tithe. Try him now in this and see if he won't throw open the windows of heaven. And listen, I, I don't tithe because of what I'm gonna get. I tithe because I love him and I get. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and all these things will, will be added. I have found that God adds when my focus is where it should be. That God blesses when my focus is where it should be. My eyes are on the Lord, and I'm not doing this to get from God. I'm doing this because I know God. I'm doing this because I know him. I know that he loves me. I know that he blesses me. And how could I not honor him with something Scripture says to honor him with? How could I not honor him with something that Scripture says is holy and doesn't even belong to me to do with what I want to do? It's not mine. It's not mine, and I'm not going to touch, and I'm not going to eat it, and I'm not going to withhold it from God any more than I would withhold my heart from God. So I'm challenging you. I'm challenging you. Ushers, come. We're going to take another offering. No, I'm just kidding. I'm challenging you today. Then this is between you and the Lord. All right, take another offering. If I thought it would accomplish anything, but no way. I'm not going to force you to give. I'm asking you to hear from God and give. I'm asking you to line up your thinking with the Bible. I know people that have attended churches for years, been actively involved in ministry, don't tithe. 
And we're going to look and see in the next two weeks just why God seems to trust some people with some things and some things with others. Why? Why? Man, if I can't honor God with my finances, it's gotta, I, I, there's got to be something. I, I, I don't trust him. I, I don't think he's going to come through for me. I, whatever, whatever your reasons might be. If, Pastor, it doesn't work out on paper, I know, but it does in faith. I mean, is that why you remain married through the tough times? Because of a piece of paper? Or do you honor God with your marriage? Man, if it's about paper, if it's about paper, then you own the car and you own the house. You own the land. If it's about paper, then, then I must own this church because I signed for it. My body is collateral. No, serious, it is. That's rough. I didn't know that part when I became a senior pastor. I was a little freaky getting an EKG done on your couch at home and the nurse telling you, please breathe normally, Mr. Permitsky. What's normal breathing right now? I don't even know what normal is. Um, it is not yours. This is not mine. We exist in a moment in time and money is a test of your heart. It's a test of your heart. Honor him, honor him, honor him, honor him, church. Honor him, uh, honor him. If I do two things for my sons, two things, hear God's voice, honor him with your finances, I think they'll be good to go.